This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. Here on Rally Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Remember, send me a text 2057, email me inbox at rallycheck.radio. Ah, listeners will be sick of me on this topic because nothing, nothing. There's so much to get upset about these days, but nothing quite gets me upset than what is happening in our schools with our children and our primary school children regarding sex education. Oh, my goodness. It is evil. There's no other word that I can come up with it because they're destroying the innocence of children. Now I'm getting on a soapbox. I can't stop myself. They're killing the innocence of the most precious thing in the universe, little children. And we're having to do this, and they've done it without even telling parents because we're too stupid or old-fashioned or something. And I have been following this so upset by it, and there was a video of a brave mother going off to the board of trustees that went, I guess, viral in New Zealand. I don't know why. I saw it many times, explaining what was happening in this area to the board of trustees. And we're very privileged. And I'm so looking forward to spending an hour with Penny Marie, who was that mum. Good morning, Penny. Good morning, Rodney. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, look, um, I have no idea. Uh, you have no idea how much respect I have for you and how proud I am of you because people don't know what's happening. I'm convinced of that, that there's this monstrosity because it's so nutty. I've emailed people I know very well and said, you should do something about this. And they come back and don't see it as a big deal. Mm -hmm. They can't imagine it's a big deal. They have no clue. Mm -hmm. And then to speak up is extraordinarily brave because you get so viciously attacked. Yeah. Now, my problem in this interview is going to be that I will talk for the hour. <laughs> I'll try and, that in. <laughs> and my mailbag will be full mm. with people saying, oh, I tuned in to listen to Penny. So please, please, I've got to just stop myself. But tell me, how did you get onto this? How I got onto this was um, I was on my son's school board of trustees from 2019 to 2022. So let's call that the COVID years. And um, I, I actually got, um, I went on it because the principal saw me as a parent who really cared about the children. So it was a privilege to be on the board. Uh, and I always had wanted to learn about governance. I'd never been in a governance position before. So because I care so much and I was a really involved mum, I was a sports mum, I always was that parent that showed up. I was like the typical soccer mum. And uh, so then the COVID stuff hit, which was very strange. And we were in a school where we were on just south of the Auckland border, I can't believe we have to talk about borders, but we were at a school where uh, 800 odd students and 120 of them were in Auckland. So we were in and out of all those lockdowns. I was, uh, we were a family that were on the north side of the border. So it was a very, very strange time. And then when the um, vaccination To interrupt stuff, you there. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was a high school? High school, yeah. And by being north of this border, how did you travel across it to go to school each day? 
Couldn't. Like, what was the procedure? Couldn't. So it was when uh, the rest of the country wasn't in lockdowns and Auckland was in the lockdowns. This is um, prior to the the massive second one in August 2021. Um, so the kids in Auckland had to stay home and they had to learn remotely while their mates across the border were uh, at school and were able to participate in sport. So it was very oh. taxing on every school. And, and actually, I don't know anyone who's talked about this, but there are schools to the north and the south of Auckland uh, that their families were disrupted even more than probably the ones who were stuck in lockdown and all the Auckland lockdowns or the ones that weren't because they knew that their mates just a few k's away were going about their lives and and we were unable to. So it was a very strange time, very discombobulating. And then uh, the 2021 vaccination situation happened. So I had already been a voice, a lone voice on my board about not wanting to bring in the vaccination stuff for students and staff. And I had already been hated on and gaslit for a long time anyway and treated pretty bad at my board. And I stayed there because I felt that I was to stay and observe what was going on. So when you say about Just excuse up, me again. Yeah, sure. You were concerned about the vaccines. Why? Mm. So I went down the rabbit hole at the point at which the government announced that they were going to allow 12 to 15-year-olds to be vaccinated without parental consent. So there was something deeply wrong about that for me mm-hmm. as a as a board mum of high school kids, but also my youngest was 15 at the time, so that would have meant that he could have done that. And so I went down the rabbit hole very, very quickly from sort of just feeling like the whole thing was wrong to starting to feel pressured myself to mm-hmm. then going, it is absolutely not okay for children for whom a parent has to sign uh, a consent form to go on a school trip to suddenly think at 12 to 15 years old that they could rock up and take a vaccination not knowing their own history and not being able to have possible they have informed consent so it was all this doing it behind the parents back but at the time I was really trying to um, raise alarm bells in the board that we can't allow this into the school because they were looking at you know this in general not our particular school we're looking at bringing vaccines in so I don't want to spend too much time talking about the vaccine side of it but basically what it did was it made me realize how how alone I was and having a voice for um people before policy. So I spent a couple of years being on a board realising that what I was observing was in the system and what I saw through everything that I experienced on the board was um, that it's a microcosm of the macrocosm and we have Mm -hmm. these everywhere. So it was a microcosm of uh, a culture where the policies are more important than common sense and that you're not required to show up with your ethical and moral basis. You're you're required to show up and follow a guideline that's been set by someone else. So I've never heard that phrase before, Penny. It's a great one. Policies before people. Yeah, and that's literally what I phrased by the time I finished being in that environment and that's realizing. That's a wonderful explanation of it. It's how I could explain the difference between me and the people that were complying when the common sense wasn't there. And there's Mm -hmm. all the different overlays, right? Because there's the overlays of um, being indoctrinated, tapping into mainstream media, doing all the things that I hadn't done so that I could remain being a critical thinker. I didn't even realise. I mean, we would all look back and go, we're so grateful that we were critical thinking and that we were questioning things even when we were a minority. So I was kind of used to being a minority. When I was on the board too... um, one or two parents showed up at different times to come and speak about different things, you know, totally unrelated to anything that I was looking at. So I understood how the process occurred whereby you 
asked the board if you could come and speak um, and then they gave you permission and then you had eight to ten minutes to speak. They, they weren't required to respond to you on the night, but you got to have your say. And so when I started going down the rabbit hole, I'd been looking at the RSE guidelines for a while and trying to find out where it was in the schools, couldn't really find it. And then, like a lot of people, I was looking at what was going on overseas. And then RSE stands for? Relationship and Sexuality Education. Yep. And uh, I was seeing what was going on overseas and I was starting to see that parents were going into their boards and speaking up. And, the, you know, you would have seen some of that footage of particularly in America and it looks very formal. It looks like a courtroom, those, mm. those meeting rooms, mm. and it's not like that here. So I started talking to some people and saying, you know, you can go to your board meeting and speak, right? Like you have the right as a parent and go and look at your school policies and you're able to do it. And not one parent that I spoke to knew that they had the right to do that. So I sat, sat with this for a while and then I went, oh, I've got to go do it. So I actually went to do it to show people how to do it. <laughs> I actually wasn't doing it thinking that there was anything particularly wrong in my, in my children's school. I just knew that because I had learned how to speak over the last few years, I'd found my voice and I knew how to stand up in a room of people that might disagree with me that I could actually front up. And I asked some permission if I could film it. Um, and I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I didn't know if I was just going to film it for me or whatever, but I just wanted to go through the process. And um, they did allow me to film it, which means um, and it, it's my speech and I didn't put anyone's faces on or anything like that. And, um, yeah, so I put it out online. And I'm not even on social, but I, I have a news channel that I'm on with Voice Media and I shared it and about... I think about 30,000 people saw it in three weeks. So I it's knew that huge, I was man. over the target, right? And I knew that what I was doing was helping. And that was the whole point. Mm. How do you explain or just describe for us what is happening in the schools with relationship sex education? So my understanding is that it's actually been in some schools for quite a while, and I'm talking to some parents that, that their kids have been um, gender-taught gender um, since about 2019. But it's come in full force since this year. My understanding is that the, um, the program that they had prior to this year was called Mates and Dates, and some schools got rid of it anyway because they had good principals that didn't like it. But a lot of schools had Mates and Dates, and my understanding is that that disappeared at the end of last year. And these relationship and sexuality education guidelines that have been around for a while, but only, I think, tested in some schools, suddenly turned up. And I spent this year trying to find what was the new version of Mates and Dates that was being rolled out. And I couldn't find it anywhere. And then by about April, all I could find in talking to others was Inside Out. And I was like, that's, a that's been created as part of Rainbow Youth to help a minority, minority group of people that would identify as being gender fluid. It's not a mass rollout education program for sex ed. Um, and then I got to about May and I, I just want to say, like, I did my speech in May and I, it was such a divine timing. I, I felt this urge inside of me that now was the right time. And I didn't actually even understand the ramifications of what that was. But the week that it happened um, was the week after Pink Shirt Friday. 
It was the week before Pride Week. It was the week that Inside Out's Out on the Shelves annual campaign, which is when they put more and more gender-fluid books into libraries and schools. So the timing of what I did was actually huge because people picked it up really quick because I all of a sudden started to go, oh my gosh, that's happened in my school too. So what I understand is that um, a lot of schools started bringing in their health curriculum with this stuff in term three. So I spoke in term two. So people were starting to, to go in and question but it really just hit us sideways because a lot of most people had no idea. And then some people like us were looking at what was overseas and we actually couldn't find it here. Now, what I've learned is that the most horrific thing about what's happening is that there's not transparency with the parents. Mm. They're completely oblivious to it. And they're not even, so the REC guidelines clearly state multiple times that the schools must consult with their community and they must consult every two years. Now, in July last year, in the Education Gazette, there was a full multi-page article that you can go online and look it up. Um, and it was pushing this agenda and it had some schools that were the shining lights and being um, gender fluid. And then at the end of that article, there was an ad for Navigating the Journeys, new resources as per the new Education Act uh, for 2020. Here's, here's where you can order your resources. Now, fam, uh, family planning develops those resources. And um, so they were promoting Navigating the Journeys content as the new curriculum for 2023. But we didn't know that at the time. We couldn't get it. So what I was uh, trying to show and what I've talked about people ever since is you can't make a blanket rule. You can't make a blanket assumption about what your school is doing. You have to go in there and ask each individual school because they may be using no content. They may be using some content from Navigating the Journey. They may be using the worst of it. They may be using the, the best of it. We can't make a blanket assumption on what is happening. Mm. And so um, the other thing I felt was um, a lot of people that I've talked to who have asked about consultation, the consultation was set to be after it went into the school. So, for example, in our school, <laughs> it was going in in term three. And when I did my speech, I said, I'm requesting a consultation now. And they said, oh, it's pegged for December. And I said, well, that's too late because you would have already taught them this. And now I've, after talking to so many parents, the same thing has happened. So if they can sort of stick to the every two years time frame and this has come in in the middle of that, then they're not consulting. That's my understanding from what I have learned. So you can go in and demand it, and they have to answer you. Um, but the next thing on that is that they're running these consultations a lot on email now rather than in-house, which is what they used to do. I mean, anyone who's got old, like I've got high school kids, anyone of my kids' age will know that the last round a few years ago, it was definitely an in-school meeting, and parents could talk amongst each other and they could hear um, other voices of concern. But when you do it on email, you're isolated, right? You're not knowing, you're not meeting each other and talking about it. So I believe that that's strategic mm. um, to not have parents talking. Yeah. Let's just put a bit of content around here. Um, we won't discuss the details of the messages because they're actually pornographic. Yeah. But um, this isn't birds and the bees stuff. 
that is being taught to and including in primary schools, um, in my experience down to nine-year-olds, my direct experience, but in some schools younger. Mm. But we're talking about two things of concern. One is that the content in the schools can be totally pornographic and what in our day was considered totally deviant behavior mm. as being normalized as something you might like to do. And this is being taught to school children at your school or could be being taught to school children at your school. Yeah. There's also a total normalization of um, non-binary relationships, that this mm. is like an everyday thing and it could be you. And if someone comes out, it's applauded. It's a bold and brave thing. So we're seeing a massive uptick, like a social contagion, in terms of primary school and high school kids being um, declaring themselves non-binary and getting special attention. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing a massive flood of resources into the school libraries and into the public libraries of sexualized books, literally in the primary school section. And you think your kid's going off to the school, uh, off to the public library. And Inside Out, it's been there the week before. That's the um, rainbow youth arm of non-binary relationships. They've been in before spreading books around. Mm -hmm. I'm the most, I used to be the most liberal guy I knew, you know. These books horrify me. Mm -hmm. I went to the lovely Bob McCroskey speech down here, and I was embarrassed by the content of his speech, I was squirming in my seat of embarrassment. But as he pointed out, this is what's being taught to primary school kids in some schools. Yeah. So this is what is happening. You typically assume the best for your school because mm. the teachers seem so nice, so lovely, so caring. It seems so weird and deviant that you can't imagine them doing it. And my own experience, Inside Out came and spoke to my 11-year-old's class for two hours. And what that meant was that um, transvestite teenagers and lesbian teenagers spoke to the class about how cool it was yep. for two hours without our knowledge. Yep. Now, the weird thing is, in the case of our school, none of that's happening this year. That was last year, and they must have got a kickback because it's not happening. It's gone. Um, so that's the content mm. of it, right? There's no way. I'd be embarrassed to look at it, Penny. It's really tough. And I don't want to be out there uh, showing it too much because no. it isn't, I don't want to put that out into the consciousness. However, when I go around and speak, I do show because, um, and I also say, I'm so sorry that I have to do this. And if, if kids are there, I ask them to leave. Um, where I ask the parent to decide because it's up to them what they want their kids to hear about. But I apologize and it really just makes my skin crawl. Because you're right, just going back to what you said, there's two things that I see going on here that is coming through the curriculum. So the first is the early sexualization of the children. And the second is the um, incredibly radical and lying and harmful lie that gender is fluid. So that is, uh, it's, it doesn't even make sense when anybody starts to critical think. It's completely not anything about being kind 
to a minority group. This is a hijack of our children and you can see it clearly and I say to everyone, go to Inside Out and pull the resources down yourself and you will find that it is a political agenda and they are radicalising our children and they are creating activists and they are creating secrecy and um, disconnect from the family. So you need to play this out to the end, parents. You need to think about what this might look like in five years' time for your family, what this might look like in five years' time for your children. Um, one of the mums was saying, you know, she, we need to play this out to the end because when her children, if they were to learn all of this stuff and, and be around other children whose parents aren't pulling them out, when they become teenagers and they want to start dating and they're not going to be able to actually tell whether someone is a boy or a girl, we have a serious problem here and we have to start having these conversations. This is a political agenda and it has got nothing to do with kindness. It is it is harmful. It is hateful. And it is abuse. And the government is funding it. The government has so many, so many agencies out there. Every time I go online, I go down another rabbit hole and find another one. It is a total propaganda hit. And uh, I just, yeah, and it's being funded through um, diversity um, certified NGOs all the big companies out there that have had it coming through their workplaces for a few years, and this is a concern for me. It's come through big NGOs here. If you talk to anybody who's worked in national organisations, councils and things, um, banks, uh, it's everything. You go on the Rainbow Tick website and there's a whole list of companies. I'll just say some of them. Air New Zealand, ANZ, ASB, um, IRD, um, Zero Vodafone, they're all rainbow tick companies. So you've got a massive adults who this has become normalised through their workplace and they're probably going to not think that this is so bad when they see it coming through their kids' school because mm. they've already been um, numbed to having to play the kindness card even though it doesn't sit right in their intuition and in their soul. No one's really talking about that yet, but, you know, this didn't start in the schools. This has kind of come to the schools now, but I believe it's been the social contagion that's come through workplaces to normalise it with the adults first so that we're all so uncomfortable having this conversation. Um, I've talked to people who are grossly un-okay with it at work, but they feel like if they speak up that they're going to lose their jobs. They unpick the two bits because... They are two separate things in a way. The first thing is the sexualization of young children. So they're introducing sex and not just, you know, how do you word this, normal sex, um, to children as young as eight and I think younger in some schools. Mm. And you're looking at your little eight-year-old girl trotting off to school. Mm -hmm. Um just interested in little girl things. Yeah. Now, who on earth thinks this is a good idea? Yeah. How dare they? That's kind of my thing. How dare they? And I think um, it's uh, you need to understand how we're going through this shock of like, how the heck did this happen? Um, and this has been radicalised through universities and tertiary institutes for a really long time, particularly in teaching. You think about how liberal our teaching um, industry is. Mm. And so the teachers that 
think this is okay, shouldn't be teaching, in my mind. The teachers that are there that are like, oh my gosh, I, I'm not comfortable with this, but I need my job. We need to help those teachers. And then the ones that are speaking out, we need to help. And the ones that are quietly speaking out and asking the parents to please stand up now because there's nothing more that they can do. They get gaslit by the mainstream media. They get hated on and they get threatened that they're going to lose their job or they lose their job. This is a hit on them as well. And we need to reach out to these teachers, these board members and these principals because you're right, they're getting the kids are getting sexualized really young and we just have to stop and have a common sense conversation. What was sex education when you were at school? For me, it was um, a couple of lessons when I was in intermediate school about puberty, about body changes and about childbirth. That was it. And you're, you're younger than me, much younger. <laughs> I had a great one. I so loved this. It was in the fourth form, and we had this wonderful science teacher. And we were all looking ahead to the chapter in the science book on human reproduction and all the boys, you know, giggling over it, right? Terrible. We were 14. We were 14 for a start. And we spent a long time on rabbits, right? <laughs> and how, how little rabbits came to be, right? And... <laughs> Where they go, all oh, that next chapter is going to be a beauty. And then the teacher did so much on rabbits, she must have run out of time. And she ended her, lecture, her her class and she slammed the book shut and yelled out, and humans are the same. <laughs> and that, and that was, was a, your birds of the beast talk. Oh. Yeah. And that was all you needed, right? Well, and I think like it's a massive hit on the parents because the, the mantra that is out there when you hear anything. Uh, when they're justifying it is that it's awkward. It's an awkward conversation and parents aren't very good at doing it. And I'm just like, you need to stop right there. I'm calling out where in the mainstream media they have articles about it and they talk to their so-called experts. Look up the so-called experts. Go do some mm. research on them. They're university people who are, I don't know if they're parents or not, but do you know what? The parents are the experts. Why is the media not interviewing the parents who are concerned about this? Why are they only going into... Um, the closed doors of universities, which have got funded research around all this gender stuff, because guess where their funding comes from? Mm. So you have to follow the money on this and you have to use your common sense. Like we, um, maybe parents are busier than they were and maybe they do find it more awkward than they were. But I'll tell you what, I have boys and I would drive with them in the car, which is a good place to have these conversations yes. because you can't, they can't jump out the car, <laughs> but also you're not having to make eye contact when it's awkward. And I remember so clearly talking to my boys mm. and talking to them about it because my mum didn't talk to me about it. Mm. And so I wanted to talk to them about it because I was aware that it's schoolyard talk at a younger and younger age and that all their friends are online and things. So I said to them, I want to have this awkward conversation with you because I want you to hear it from me and not be ashamed of it and I want you to know you can come talk to me rather than hear it in the schoolyard or somewhere else. Now, I'm sure that a lot of parents are having those conversations. The people in the media that are, that are saying that parents aren't are probably not asking the kinds of parents that are. Mm. But I'm like, excuse me, I'm, I'm the one who chooses how to have those conversations with my children. And just on the age thing, and if you're, if you're looking at the navigating the journey stuff, because that's the easiest way to look at what they want in the schools, the resources are from year one up to year 10, and they get more and more sexualized as they go. And 
why it's the way I look at it is when you've learned the alphabet, why do you need to keep going over it and over it and over it and over it? Don't you move on? But they don't. And they they do the same thing all the time. Now, I've started talking about the chicken and the egg situation. So we have now, it's huge overseas, but they're starting to push these figures here that there are more kids that are sexually promiscuous, you know, self-harming um, and on the gender fluid narrative than ever before. We need to stop and ask what the chicken and the egg is. Mm. How did we get to that point? Because how we got to that point is social contagion, which yes, means absolutely. social media, um, online behaviour, excessive use of phones, uh, porn online, and the education system. That's the social contagion that then creates what we have. And we have this thing where the government creates a problem and then they create a solution. What's their solution? Pharma, medical, surgery. They're all funding this. They're funding free transgender surgery for children. They're funding mental health support for children. But they created it. Mm. They created it in the first place. You've got to follow the money. You've got to follow the common sense. Isn't there a point? I'm sticking on the teaching sex at a young age. Isn't there a point which we're at where it's grooming? Yeah, I believe so. Mm. Like a teacher teaching this stuff to eight and nine and ten-year-old kids. I mean, we're going to look back on this, hopefully, if we get through it as a civilized people, and it's going to be a scandal because mm. these kids have been groomed and sexualized over and over and over by their teachers. So one of the excuses that they give is that uh, there is a lot of child abuse happening and so for a small child to be able to correctly name their genitals will help them. Now, I interviewed Gloria Masters, who's a survivor of child sex abuse and um, sex trafficking. Now, she's also been on Reality Check Radio. She's an incredible woman who found her voice about three years ago. So I asked her the question, if you had have learnt this stuff when you were five years old, when your abuse started, would it have helped you? Would you have less likely to be a victim? And she said, absolutely not. Now, we need to hear this from the actual victims, survivors, mm. is that if they had have known the correct names for their genitals and been familiar with what naked bodies look like, it wasn't going to save them. But that's the narrative that they're pushing. Uh, and and we really want to encourage parents, uh, teachers who are teaching this stuff to the kids to seriously question their moral compass and put their Absolutely. moral compass before their pay packet. Absolutely. So that's the sex education. Then you come across to teaching prepubescent children and early high school children and I realized that there's a rush by for Inside Out to reach children before puberty. Yeah. Because if they think they're in the wrong body, their ideology is, is that you can convert from a boy to a girl or vice versa before puberty by puberty blockers. Or, how insane, by taking puberty blockers to have a pause. Yeah. <laughs> As if that's such a thing, right? It is so... It is so wrong you can hardly say it but this is what is 
been going on in the schools. Oh, well, if you're not sure, you can just take a puberty blocker. This is, as I understand it, Penny, the chemical they give child molesters to castrate them chemically. And they give that to a little kid to say, oh, you make your mind up. This is, so they're reaching down to prepubescent children to explain that you could well be in the wrong body. Mm-hmm. Now, we understand there's a psychological condition called gender dysphoria, which is documented and very extremely rare. Mm-hmm. We understand there's a sexual condition where some guys get off by pretending they're women. And that's it. Right? Yeah. And yet 100% of our children and the kids are told a lie Mm-hmm. as though it's the truth. And if they question it, they're labeled transphobe by their teacher. Yep. Yep. Now, this is next level It's stuff, next level, right? and it's so complex. So what I've ended up doing, and we'll talk about this soon, but I just want to bring it in here, is what I've ended up doing that's fallen out of me doing what I'm doing and meeting so many people to help is I've created um, – something called Let Kids Be Kids. And so I recently interviewed a lady called Jennifer Scott, and she's very outspoken on, she's a registered nurse and she was working in mental health and she's down in Dunedin. And she was doing this research on gender-affirming care and the change. So in the medical realm, they very strongly are only allowed to use the affirmation model, which is to affirm a child's belief. So what they're doing is they're seeding this doubt and disbelief and lie into the child who isn't um, mentally capable of coping with that kind of context anyway. Their brains are literal when they're little. And then the only model in medical is the affirm model. Now you ask if that makes sense for anything else, if a child is anorexic, is it is it okay to affirm them into their anorexia and say, we'll take you along for liposuction? No, yes, it is you- not. Yes, you are very fat, usually, yes. <laughs> yeah, and so that's exactly, you overlay that. You would never do that to an anorexic 30-kilo girl and tell her, yes, you're correct, you're fat, we'll go and take you and put you on a diet. But this is the affirm model. So what they're saying is they're, they're, they're indoctrinating our children, saying maybe you, you who think you're a boy just because you have a penis, maybe you're actually a girl. And then through the medical system, the only thing they're doing is affirming it. And then you've also got the conversion therapy ban legislation that's mm. come through. Thanks, Chanel Lau. And so what that does is that has then criminalised anyone, be that a parent or a counsellor, or a medical professional or a youth pastor or anyone that this child has in their community, um, it has criminalised them again saying, no, maybe maybe just wait a bit. Maybe you're not. Like maybe tomorrow you're going to wake up and you're going to be okay being a boy. That's a criminal thing through the conversion therapy ban, legislation. So the only thing that you're allowed to do through legislation is to affirm them. And of course... The conversion therapy ban is asymmetric because mm. I can encourage a child to swap sex, but I can't encourage them to stay what they biologically are. That's correct. So we're getting hit on all sides. We're getting hit from legislation. We're getting hit through education. We're getting hit through the medical system. 
And what doctor? What doctor could possibly mm-hmm. remove the breasts of a healthy young girl, or castrate a young boy? What? Or give them puberty blockers? How on earth? When you look at our medical profession, a that one doctor could do that, but b all the other doctors not call it out. So I was talking to Di Landy the other day. She's from Mana Wahine Korero, and the number that she gave to me was there are six hundred New Zealand New Zealanders on on puberty blockers. Um, I've looked up, there are three gender clinics in New Zealand at the moment. And I, you know, this for me has opened a door into a world that I didn't even know existed. Like I didn't realise when I was going to do my board speech that within a few weeks I'd be real. I didn't know. I didn't even know about all this puberty blocker stuff and how bad it was. Um, But the number of people that are now starting to talk about it and say this has happened to their child, this is happening to their grandchild, like every conversation I have with people out there, because I'm brave enough to say, people say, what do you do? I say, well, have you heard about what's going on with the kids? Because I'm helping to stop it. And everyone, no matter what side of the fence you're on, says, thank you, please keep doing it. I wish I had one lotto so I can help you financially. You need to keep doing it. It's what you're here to do. Can I ask you a couple of controversial questions, philosophical ones? <laughs> Go for it. I have never been brave enough to ask this of my friends, but I can do it in the context of radio. Right? Mm-hmm. And I regard you as a friend and a hero, but there's a lot of ladies that I have on who I greatly admire, but I've been busting to ask them this question. Do you think this started with feminism? I think it started before feminism, but I think feminism was a weapon. Yeah. Yes, and that we were sucked along. Yep, I hundred percent believe that we were sucked along, and I think um, right now, critical thinking, being humble, and looking back over our lives and learning the lessons and going, "Oh, that's how we got to this point." So yes. feminism hugely. Um, also, you know, and Bob McCroskey talks about it a lot. He's been talking about this for years. It started with the anti-smacking bill, yes, which was child rights be- before parent rights. Mm. Um, there are so many facets, but yes, if let's talk about the feminism thing because a hundred percent. Because if you start off saying, "Woman." because part of I mean, there's all these waves of feminism, and I've never made a study of it. Um, we let's just go back traditionally. Women were treated with respect, put on a pedestal. Yes, there were some terrible things, and yes, it, their rights may not have been the full rights of men. And then you go to having the full rights of men, but then there became this thing that a woman could do anything that a man could do. Well, in a funny way, you said women are the same as men. Mm. There's a funny little glitch. We shot ourselves in the foot, didn't we? Yes. <laughs> and it's an interesting thing because I look back to when I was first married and I said to my husband and I, I said, you know, I want us to be equal in the sense that I'm not a piece of the white wear. I don't yeah. want to just be in those traditional Be a roles. trad wife. However, I never wanted to go back and work full time. 
I didn't see mm. the point in going and having my children and then having someone else raise them. And now we're also, you know, so there's the push to thinking that the mother has to be the superwoman and has to be able to hold it all together at home and at work and socially. Oh, and also still look beautiful and healthy and keep nutrition food for their children, all the things. Like we had this total superwoman thing about us and, mm. um, and it was really toxic. And it was really competitive and um, you looked at each other and you thought, well, you've managed to hold it together. You're the superwoman. And I'll tell you what was the real rub with feminism in New Zealand. And that was Jacinda Ardern. Yes. Because she came in and she showed the world how to be kind. Um, she also managed to have a baby while running the country. And at the point that that happened, I was like, you're doing a real disservice to all of us mums who are already feeling guilty. We, we're loaded with mother guilt of all the things that we think we should be doing, but we also have to go earn as well. We're totally burnt out. We're expected to do everything. And now you're showing us that you can have a baby and still run the country. And I love you for your honesty. <laughs> because this is... Um, what we have done to women, what feminism has done, and, to, and then the other flip side is men have become valueless. Yeah. So a man can't be a man because to be a man is to be toxic. And so men hang their heads mm. and let the women do the talking and the women are feeling vulnerable because no man will speak up for them. It's um, it's it's it's. This is what, and this is my next controversial thing, and it's quite hard because you know, all around me are lifelong feminists. You know, in my family, and my wife, my mother-in-law, and all lovely, and I can see their point, but they're complaining about this, and I can see that it's the next step, right, mm -hmm. that we were sucked into something. Yeah. And as you say, um, all these roles fall upon a woman. Promiscuity is another issue, but we won't just get into that because I think that's also been the disservice here. The other thing is, um, listeners are aware that I've, been, I've become a Christian, which is mm -hmm. something I never thought I'd say. But the most telling moment in all of this was gender ideology. Because to be teaching young children about sex way before they're ready for it or capable of considering it, I thought was evil. Like not just murdering civilians evil, but evil beyond compare. And then to teach the little girl that she could be a boy or the boy next to her could go to the girl's toilets because he's really a girl. Evil. And that's when I realized we're combating an evil virus and evilness in people's thinking. And that there are lovely school teachers and lovely people in the bureaucracy and lovely people working at Zero and at the I well, they're not at the IRD, lovely people at the Ministry of Transport and places like this mm. who are promoting this evil that's abroad. And they seem lovely, or they're going uh, along with it. Mm. And that's when I realized that if I think that's evil, there's got to be a goodness. 
And now I'm talking good and evil. I'm not talking about whether it's good policy or bad policy, whether it's utilitarian effectiveness or not. It's good and evil. And that there's something deeply wrong spiritually, which I'd never, ever imagined I'd be thinking. Mm -hmm. Am I right about this? To me, you're 100% right about this. And being on this journey for the last few years, um, I don't really come across many people that see what's going on and would still deny that this is a spiritual war. And because you can't explain it. You can't explain, you can't explain the explain evil. Mm -mm. Can't. No. And, and, and we had the culture war idea, mm. but this is a spiritual war for our kids. It's huge, and, and you know it, because when you, I mean, I'm so far out of anything mainstream because I need to protect my own heart, but you only need to watch music videos <laughs> that, and all the things that kids are readily accessible online, like computer games like Diablo 4. You've only got to look at them to see how demonic and satanic this stuff is, and it's all mixed in with the gender narrative. Can't tell which are men and women. This is deeply spiritual, um, and... It is the only way f when I speak to people that I that I can explain why this is happening because your logic mind can't conceive of the level of evil that's behind it. No. So you can go a certain amount uh, talking about the psychology and ha what happens when people get hypnotized and brainwashed and all of the different tools, the psychological tools that have been used against us for us to usher this in and the, the cleverness of us being frogs in pots and, and being politically more liberal over the years to the point at which we're now at the bottom of the cliff looking up going, how in the heck do we get here? But yes. the overlay of it all is... It's spiritual. So I had an awakening at the start of my journey onto this, and I've been, you know, a Christian. Um, I walked away from that because it didn't feel right and it didn't feel real. And then I had an awakening, and what I saw right then was <laughs> on the spectrum, religion at one end and spirituality at the other. And it was so freeing for me. I felt like I could take my big guilty um, shoulder pack off and see that even – the spiritual aspect to our lives has been hijacked because it's been yes. politicized through religion, but th it's very simple. So I have spiritual encounters all the time now, and I have moments where I have real awareness and connection, and I just keep getting told it's so simple. It's about love, and it's about truth, you know, and we have to be warriors for the truth, and we have to stand for the truth no matter what. And when we do, we are in alignment with God. We're in alignment with source energy and we're in alignment with light. We are light. And so we have to trust what we feel. You know, a lot of what I talk about, a lot of what I talk about, like we've talked about the horrors of this, but it will be really good to spend a bit of time on what's going to happen for the good because we have to understand who we are, why we're mm. here. And you can't get to the core of that without accepting the spiritual role that we have here. Isn't there a problem here though, Penny? And this is where I'm struggling. Because I feel that. But if you have a clash of belief systems, which it seems that's what we have here, the other side, and they would say the same about us, aren't amenable to the facts or to evidence or to reason because they have 
a belief system that they believe they can't defend it with argument or logic, and so they must shoot it down, the alternative, silence it. And ultimately, if you have a clash of competing belief systems, it comes down to violence, always has. Because we can't jog along together. Like, I can't jog along with someone who's doing this to our children, right? But they can't let me jog along with my children in my space. It's it's mm. competing for the same thing, our children and our future, where we can't sit down and talk about it and discuss it and vote on it. It's deeply spiritual, it's deeply a belief system, deeply oppositional, and can't be resolved. And this, I, I find myself, I've never said this before, you, I don't know how you resolve it peacefully. So if I may offer a suggestion, I, the, the, a lot of the men that I talk to, they come to that conclusion. And a lot of the women that I talk to in the spiritual space come back to love and peace. And and this is where the feminine and the masculine have a beautiful balance. But right now yeah. I believe that the feminine, and I don't mean feminism, I mean the feminine, which is more, and, and we <laughs> this, is, this is what's funny about the gender thing, what they've captured is we all have elements of feminine and masculine within us. Mm. But they've they've hijacked it for a, a not good reason. But when I want my feminine to come forward, that's my intuition and my discernment. And when I want my masculine to come forward, that's my sort of um, my sort of more logical brain, right? And so, if you st sit in your logical, you can't think of any way out of this except for fighting your way out of it. That's me. Um, yeah, and, and that is most men. To be fair, there's not mm. uh, there's few men that that get that. But um, I would offer that there's another way to do this, and this has very much become my journey, which is why I created Let Kids Be Kids. We are we're fighting things on multiple levels. So you talk about beliefs, and um, they're they're actually in a cult. So it's a it's a social contagion, which is a cult. And when you talk about different beliefs, and you might talk about different religious beliefs, at the core of most religious beliefs is the same thing, which is love and and peace. And there are radical movements within that that are not what I'm talking about, but. Like, for example, in Canada, you've got the, the Muslims and the Christians marching together because they all love their children and they all have the same fundamental yes, moral decency. code, right? Yep. So it's a moral code that actually um, is wider than any one particular religious or spiritual belief. That's my That's my belief is that we have a moral inherent spark in us that's been given to us when we were born by God and we and we're moral beings, so we need to try and tap into that. But the other side of it is the the indoctrination that and the and the messaging that's out there. So their stuff is quite divisive and angry and inflammatory. Although it comes across all pretty colours and everything to the kids, but rainbow. what's really yeah the rainbow? What's they've captured God's creation of the rainbow and His promise to us? But we're going to claim that back. But the the way that we deal with, like in my area, is around communication and information. So the resonance that we put into the communication and information that we put out to help people isn't angry. It isn't inflammatory. It's curious and it's questioning. And it invites people to do some critical thinking for themselves. So for me, it's about changing the energy 
that's around this. Like, I don't want to be um, focusing on the resistance of what they're doing. What I want to be doing is is solutions focused, which is the inform and educate and support space. And when you do that, people feel um, supported they feel encouraged, they feel braver. And so what I've seen since I've been talking about this since June is is a shift, there's a massive shift that's really rapidly happening here in our country as people are seeing it. And they're also learning how to communicate in a better way, how to to pick up tools and use them. I'm always about pick up your tools, go to family... uh, family first, go to resist gender education, grab their tools and use them, have the mm. brave conversation. Because we need to be learning from the last few years of how we've kind of um, got a bit extreme on either side of the narrative of things, to not hit people over the head with it, but to um, inquisitively inform. And it changes things, right? So that is spiritual. because That's it, very beautiful. It, it requires a lot of us to go, well, if I, I always say like, but for the grace of God, there I go. Yes. I could have easily gotten caught up in it because we, uh, most people have gotten caught up in it because they have been drummed into them that this is what kindness is. And people want to be kind. They want to be community-minded. And inclusive. And inclusive and all of those things. And so they've captured all those words and they've weaponized them against each other. But we need to be smart enough to come up with tools to, to really tap into and reach people's hearts. And we don't do that through anger and we don't do that through fighting. We do that through role modelling. We do that through showing up. We do that through um, communicating in a loving way. So what I've done since uh, since I, I did my speech and people started contacting me, hundreds of people have contacted me, is I've realised that I'm stepping into a bit of a mentorship role. Mm. People, The biggest question people had when I went around was, I don't know how to be brave like you. I love mm. what you're doing, but I couldn't do it. And so I went, oh, cool. It's not about me needing to do it all. It's about me knowing how to, learning how to support those people so that they can find their voice. And I'll tell you what, it's happening. I had a, I had a Zoom call with about 10 of us online on Monday night, and I'd really like to share this. We're from different groups around the country that have all started running meetings like what I do. And um, we are all getting up there and speaking about things, and we're all coming together to support each other, to encourage each other, to nurture each other to cheerlead each other. This is the energy we have to put into this. It's not hateful. We know we're here for this time. And I just so believe, and that's the feminine, right? That's the feminine, like, I'm not going to ever think that I can't do this. I know I'm here to do this. Mm. Tell me about Let Kids Be Kids. Yep. So Let Kids Be Kids was created um, based on the fact that I got overwhelmed with the number of people coming in and what I saw was the need. So again, the need was um, to encourage and mentor and support people who were finding their voice and speaking out, to also hold space for people who are just horrifyingly waking up. Because if you go down the rabbit hole right now, it's a terrifying place. And we want to hold those people. We don't want them to put their heads back in the sand. So a lot of, so Let Kids Be Kids, and we're we're very new, but I would love everybody to follow us on our social media and go to letkidsbekids.nz, which is a website that's just temporarily up, but all of our our, um, social links are on there. Um, But what I do is I interview a lot of people, a lot of mums, so very mums, nurses, people who are right there at the grassroots sharing their stories because there are so many stories, um, you know, and obviously Reality Check Radio is doing a whole lot and Bob McCroskey is doing a whole lot, but there's so many. Bob McCroskey has been a champion. He's incredible, yep. And so, but we're all in this together, right? And so I'm really all about um, 
cooperation, sharing the voice, not owning the space of the one voice and thinking. So you're like a Posey Parker, but for kids. <laughs> for kids, yeah. And well, and but just support for parents and just common sense. So like I literally did a little clip the other day and I'm just learning how to even do video editing because I'm seeing the power of actually using the tools to help to reach people. So I did a one and a half minute clip the other day and I found the rainbow calendar for New Zealand for 2023 and I just scrolled through that and I showed people and within 24 hours I mean we don't have many followers but we had about two or three thousand people have seen it My already goodness. and it's and it's like it needs to be seen by hundreds of thousands of people My because goodness. it's a shock I actually showed it to the parent the mums that I was on the call with before I sent it out to say as an example this I'm just trying to figure out tools to help these are tools for people like us who are already down the rabbit hole to get sharing online to share the tools to help educate other people. If they're too embarrassed to have the conversation, they can just flick a little video up. These are We're putting tools in people's hands. The sharing thing is really important. So I showed this little video of the of the rainbow calendar of these so-called minority groups that are, you know, poor them, they're getting hated on. Well, they have a very full calendar of um, expressing and celebrating themselves, which is all funded by the government, by the way. And the faces of the woman on the call when I was scrolling through it, they were shocked. And these are the mums who are out there having the conversations. They know. Yeah, that's yeah they, they know more than most, and they're still shocked. And that's what I, I keep coming across is I keep sharing things that people who have been down the rabbit hole still not, not even aware of. So that is let kids be kids, all one word. Yeah, dot NZ. Dot, dot NZ. Yeah, and we're on Twitter. But, we're but on that, Rumble. We're that's on a web page. Let kids a, be kids dot NZ. If I go to that now, it'll come up. I'll, I'll just yeah. try yeah. Um, how wonderful. And, and is it for everyone? Can I join? Yep. So it's um the website itself is just a temporary placeholder at the moment, but you can get links to our Substack. So just starting to do a Substack. I'd love you to subscribe to Substack so we can keep in touch. Great. We're just going to be sharing information. We're trying not to do stuff that other people are doing, but we, I just want to put a whole lot of tools in people's hands and I want them to know that they're not alone. There's people all around the country contact me and say, I think I'm the only one in my school. I think I'm the only one in my community. And I would say, you're not, but we need to start having the conversations because we're siloed at the moment. We're so used to being disconnected from school you know we're sitting in our online bubbles where we've got to get face to face and have these conversations mm. thank you for being such a wonderful woman and mother and standing up for all of us more particularly encouraging all of us to stand up and more particularly personally for me counseling me that there is a way forward and have you got a wise word for me on this front? I'm, I've never been a physical fighter, right? But I believe in its necessity. And I believe that's what men do. You know, you save the princess from the man in the black hat. And I worry what my response would be if a man went into my girl's changing sheds. Because I think I would be extremely violent. That I'd lose all reason. Because that is so horrific to me. And yet, every parliamentarian 
voted for that to happen. And Christopher Luxon, supposedly our new PM eventually one day, soon, before Christmas, said that if I want to talk about that, I'm off the planet. Mm. But what am I to do? My girl disappears into the public changing sheds, 10 years old, and a man disappears in after her. And the staff at this publicly owned pool can do nothing. My kids won't go to a public changing sheet or toilet because of this. They've had it happen. What I feel to say to you is take actions that your children will be proud of. Yeah, that's what I think. That they're going to be able to tell their children of what you did. So you know, no, no man, no self-respecting man mm. will allow his wife or daughters to be disrespected. No. And we need to see that. We need to see our men standing up for our women and standing mm. up for our children. Thank and that's, that. my, that's my cry. And I've spoken a couple of times at the Stand By Your Woman stands and saying, men, we actually want you to stand up. We need you to stand up. We need you to show the children how to stand up. And if you can't stand in the front line because of the way that society has labelled you, stand next to us. Mm. Thank you so much, Penny. I hope you come back on my show because well, I feel as though we have much to discuss and mm. I know you would have helped listeners and you've certainly helped me. Uh, that was Penny Marie. What a what a wonderful story. What a wonderful mission. But more especially, what a beautiful woman and a beautiful mother and a beautiful Kiwi, beautiful human being that we've been blessed with today. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on Rally Check Radio. Remember, please, text us at 2057. Email us inbox at rallycheck.radio. I will put in a link, uh, let kids be kids, if you can't remember it, let kids be kids.nz. Boy, I'm going to sign up to that. Thank you so much for listening. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m.